0: surroundings.
1: Avoid costly
2: collisions. Welcome to the Orbital Sword. Please follow me to the reading room. And three, two, one. Welcome to the Orbital Sword. I'm David Bolton.
0: I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. I fully expected you to say welcome to the Dune Saga podcast. I, I was like, I, ready I to go. <laughs> Luckily, I looked right over there and saw, saw the, name. <laughs> yeah, the, the name. I is.
1: actually started a pool on that he was going to do that, and I guess I lose now. Yeah, you did, you did.
0: But I was fully expecting him to do it. I mean, so, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, on this episode.
2: Yes. We are going to be talking about um, Ringworld by Larry Niven correct? That's how you say his last name? Yeah,
0: Larry Niven. That's the way I voice from. Okay, yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh,
2: so in this book we follow uh, human- humanity has reached an age where we've, uh, you know, explored the universe, met other aliens and live a general peaceful existence. Uh, life expectancy is super long. Our main character is 200 some years old. Right? By the way,
0: thanks to Spice. Yeah, thanks to Spice. which he got from Frank Herbert. Did they really? Thank you, they did. Yeah, oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they might have. I don't they know. They might have
2: spice. published, but um, we follow a gentleman uh, and uh, his companions as they go on an adventure out to space to find uh, a ring world, which is a ring around the sun. A metal man, a metal. Someone made this uh, object around the sun, and on the inside is. Uh, Earth-like conditions. I believe they say the size is like a million times Earth's uh, crossing or something like that. It's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of a hodgepodge of uh, situational adventures along the way to figure out what's going on with this um, ring world. And, you know, what's on it? Why do they need to look at it? And why are some of the aliens interested in it?
0: Spoiler alert! Spoiler Second alert! Step. I know. Oh, no.
2: <laughs> this, this whole show is a spoiler. Man. All right. If you yeah.
0: haven't read Ringworld by now. Yeah. It's
2: hard to give a summary for this because it's it's very simple, but it's hard because everything is so
0: alien. Well, you know, this is one of these sci-fi stories. I mean, so sci-fi stories kind of fall into the mixed bag, and there's a, perhaps a little bit of space opera in this, but what, what really, this is really we find a new world, let's explore this alien world, and we leave, anyway, like in its simplest term, that this is really that, but we're also kind of looking at potentially the future of humanity uh, in that whole story as well. So I'm, I'm really oversimplifying it, but as far as plot goes, it's there's this odd world, let's get a crew together to go look at this world because we're casually interested in it and there's something in it for humanity and the other creatures that go along, and through this process we get we kind of grow attached to the crew and everyone mm-hmm. has their kind of unique personality. But ultimately it's a story of what's this world about? And let's leave.
2: Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. the the reason for their adventure is a secret to the crew for over half of the book. And it, so for us, both the reader and three of your main characters. They're on this adventure almost for the same reason you're reading, to find out why they're on this adventure.
0: Well. Uh, it's the, the rewards
2: that get them to go. Yeah,
0: it's, I was gonna say, they do know why they're going. They're going because they want the hyperdrive or the superdrive or right. whatever they whatever they call it in this book. Right, they're, 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 I mean, yeah. that's the that's reward, but we don't know what's in it for the master people that are getting them to go along is right. kind of the, the question. And we also know that one of the other things that's motivating was that there's been an explosion at the galactic core that will come and annihilate Earth in about 20 million years, and we should all be concerned about that.
2: Right. Every, if, if eventually everyone doesn't leave, they'll all die. That's right. And that's the, yeah. that's the reason they want this ship that goes double the speed of light. Yes. And uh, this way that when humanity stops being lazy they can get off their butts and finally move out of the, out of the galaxy and save themselves.
1: Yeah. So. See, I thought that's what Lewis was after was looking for an alternate place.
0: I don't know. Louis, Wee is a kind of the, the audio book pro- pronounces them that way as, or Louis, Louis I should say. Um, they really don't. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what he's after. He's after the drive. Yeah, he's after the drive. Yeah, but he's also a curious being. He's an yeah. adventurer. He goes off in these sorts of adventures mm-hmm. in his 200 years of living.
2: I don't think he was looking for a place to go because they were going the wrong direction the whole time. Yeah. So, But, but he was very much aware. Both him and Tila were both very much aware that um, they needed this drive so that humanity could eventually go find somewhere else to go and they keep talking about what is it like the the dream clouds or yeah someplace some sort of cloud place uh, that would protect them yeah a nebula or whatever that will be the place that to go
0: well the ring world is like the place to go if they go back
2: well that's what they discover yeah they discover
0: that it's that an act but but you know we don't see that in this book but he he wrote subsequent novels following Mm. where they do return back to ring world yeah so yeah which I haven't read. I've read none of them. The only one I've ever read is this one.
2: This is the, I mean, this is my first time. And I read it multiple
0: times. Really? So um, so let, let, let's talk. So that brings us into That's a nice segue here. Uh, Jim, did you read Ringworld before?
1: No, I never had.
0: So a first time impression of diving into this, really a classic of a 70s science fiction.
1: Okay, well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to wind up having to turn in my geek card for this, but I just kind of found it kind of meh.
2: Oh, ah. hey, I didn't like Kitchener's Guide to the Galaxy, so
1: yeah, yeah i i didn't i i didn't dislike it, but it just seemed, um, I don't know, it 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 was kind of weird, really. Yeah, definitely seventies.
0: Okay, what made it seem seventies to
1: you? Oh, I don't know. The main character, two hundred years old, hanging around with a twenty-two year old girl. Um, uh, the descriptions of everything. It you know everybody is is like party time everywhere.
0: <laughs> I guess. You know. yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: and the, it just didn't seem that anybody really had any ambition uh to really do anything mm. until uh until Nessus come along with the uh, long shot the right. second quantum hyperdrive ship mm. that every that he promised to everybody if they got him to ringworld
0: mm.
2: you hit on something there the descriptions my 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 impression of this book was it, it took about a little over a third of the way through before I started to really get into it. and I thought mm-hmm. I thought, oh boy, I'm gonna hate this book because the the story actually I found not, it wasn't a space opera, it was kind of it was it was a fun adventure, but uh, um, the way that he describes things so bad, so bad I, I had yeah. I had to reread so many things so many times because I couldn't picture it in my head. I'm like, what is yeah. what is he describing?
1: It was like mini skirts and go-go boots. Yeah,
2: yeah. Or he'd be like, it was black, but not <laughs> black like you would think. It was the black of the black on top of black. Yeah, it's like, what, yeah. what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, no, I'm um, I'll get to what I think of the descriptions here in a little bit, but so so your impressions, you were kind of met on it. How is your like having read the whole book, David? For you, it was first time for you to. What was your impression of it? I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it? I did.
2: I mean, I, I, once it started, like, um, once they had left the uh, Puppeteers fleet, I was at that point, I was hooked. Like, once they actually went to Ring World, I was, I was like, I was enjoying it. Not that I couldn't put the book down, but like,
0: I wanted to keep reading, and that's always a good sign. And right. if, you, if you're in a book, it's like, wow, I got to keep reading this.
2: Yeah, instead of being like, well, I got to get this done for Wednesday, right? Was right. Like,
0: oh, oh. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, for for me, this is my fourth time I think through the book. So I read I read it actually in paperback uh, years ago, uh, maybe 15 years ago. Then, then I picked it up on. I picked it up through I picked it up through Audible and I listened to it uh about a couple years ago. Then listened to it again just this past summer, and then you guys said, hey, let's do ring where I'm like, okay, I'll listen to it again. So it was my fourth <laughs> time through it. And each time, uh for me, I guess I've I've read enough 70s fiction that the descriptions didn't overtly bother me. Um in fact, what stuck out to me about his writing this time was how he really went to extra length to make sure that as they were discovering and revealing how Ringworld was working, that everything was logical. Like there was a logical pattern. Like they came to, a, they thought logically about things. Well, why is this? Well, because of this, this, and this. And so he really framed and laid out his explanations. Um, and even the descriptions a little bit logically. Um, now, I'm not talking about the descriptions of necessarily the people, but the descriptions of the way things function, how they functioned, and why they functioned that way.
2: Right, right. But, but oh. that's different. That's Those things are conceivable, relatable things to us. Mm-hmm. The things that
0: weren't relatable to us is where you are a two hundred year old man with a twenty year old chick. Is that it? Yeah, well, no, that's that's my Thursdays, but uh, <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> but but like describing the puppeteers or however you say the the cat people, the Qu- quinset. Is that how you say it? Qu- Quintets, whatever it is. Like describing those guys, cuz in, cuz in, yeah. Kazin. They are so alien, and then the way that he described them was equally as alien. Well, you know, and, and, and I will agree with you.
0: I really don't get a description of speaker to animals until toward the end of the book where I finally get him in the head what he really looks like. And he describes this as being cheetah-like at that point. Yeah, and, um, But before, I kind of view this like creature that looks something like the head of Gumby, but with fur.
2: It wasn't until he got <laughs> hurt, and then he was really describing him. Then I, really I really got it. Yeah, and it wasn't. Yeah, it, same with uh, with Nesis. I could kept having trouble picturing what he looked like until I think there's until the scene where he he kills someone, and then I was like, oh, he has three legs. Like, why didn't that? Why right. did that not? Quickly? I found the description so poor in making a memory with me. I read the first chapter, and it was about a week till I got around to chapter two, just because of life. And I opened up chapter two, and it said, Luis something, something other. And I said, is that a new character? (laughs) And I literally had to go back into chapter one to find out who he was. Like, that's how bad the descriptions were. They
0: were celebrating his birthday party. Come on. I know.
2: I should have known. but I know. Come
0: on. I mean, this is a party. There were, Teela Brown was there. Well, in chapter was, two. Chapter two, later in chapter two. In chapter two, yeah. Yeah. And she was there, man. Oh, she, she, was she was there. there. <laughs> um, All right. Well, you know, so I think this is overall impressions. That works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, So why don't we move in? Uh, Jim, why don't you take us into some of the uh, characters? And uh, we've been talking about some of them, but let's uh, talk about impressions of them, what we like about them, et cetera.
1: Okay. We can start with Louie. I guess is how we're going to pronounce it. Louis, Louis, yeah. Woo.
0: Woo. Okay. Louie. <laughs> Louie. All right. We can start with that one. All right. So what do you guys think? Louis Woo? Jim. He's the one asking the question.
2: Oh, okay. I'll go. No. <laughs> Lou, Lou, for those watching, it looks like I'm texting. But there, we got notes
0: on uh, our phone. He's texting. He's only I half know. paying attention. What
2: what book? Huh? huh? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, Halo, Ring World? Halo Ringworld. Halo uh, <laughs> Ringworld. Louis Louis Wu. I you know he grew on me. All of the characters grew on me. Really, he was the most. He was the one I cared about the most at the beginning, because of not understanding what the other people looked like. Even Teela, they describe her very alien, but then they refer to her as
0: human. Until... Well, she's blue, of course. She's blue because everyone gets like skin color tinting.
2: Yeah, and then later, they and later they explain the skin to- coloring where she goes back to being pale or
0: whatever. Right. Um, so, so she's a, she's a true geek if she's pale.
2: Yeah. And, and well, at one point, like he, he referenced how she falls on her tail, and I think it wasn't a literal tail; it was just her bum, like her tailbone. Yeah. 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 So, um, I, I didn't like him at the beginning. Uh, I would say you you experienced the exploration of ideas through Lu- Luis and that's when I started to like him as an intellectual uh, especially when he started the the most fun parts of the book for me were, were the and we'll get into favorite things were, but like exploring the whole Tila factor and Lu- Luis's uh, break constant breakdown of that and connection of dots and stuff that. I really liked his cunning, adventurism.
0: Yeah, well, he's very, he's very, he's very intelligent, and he mm-hmm. he puts stuff together. Um, the uh, and it, you're right. I think one of the things that Louis provides for the book is he provides our he's the eyes mm-hmm. for the other characters. He's the eye for he's the eyes for Ringworld, and uh, and so because of that, we 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 experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, so what well, did what did you think?
1: I like I kinda liked the guy all the way through. I mean, uh he was pretty smart and he kinda figured things out and you you had one side uh the puppeteer, the other side the Kazin, and he was kind of in the middle um figuring things out, keeping a clear head, and he, he kinda kept things moving forward for me. All right, very good.
2: It wasn't Mm -hmm. just because you felt a kinship of age or something there? Whoa. (laughs)
0: Watch it, turkey. (laughs) Jim, just so you know, it's David that typically brings in the age jokes, not me. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, young young
2: whippersnapper. I know. I don't have common sense yet. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, let's talk about (laughs) Nessus, the puppeteer. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'll, go ahead. I was gonna say uh, I have to agree with David.
1: I had a tough time coming up with an idea what what this looked like—a two-headed dragon with a horse's butt. <laughs> <laughs> it is it, kind of where I came from. Um, I I was always suspicious of this character through the entire book, right up to the end when we found out that. Uh, he was playing genetic games with uh, with both races and this programmed breeding of theirs and everything. And I really didn't like him.
0: Yeah, well, he's called a puppeteer for a reason, right? Yeah. Now, my picture of him was a little bit different, Jim. I, I, two-headed dragon with a tail. Um, so you know the creature in the cantina of Star Wars, right, with the, like the triangle head? And the yellow eyes. Uh-huh. There, you say, know what I'm talking about? So I, this is yeah. this is this is Nessus for me. But there's two of those heads, with the three legs, um, and so that's my picture. Well,
2: it's funny see, you mentioned Star Wars because the first couple chapters, all I saw was the pod race, uh announcer. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I was like, that's it. But that he is. only had one brain, so. All right, right. Uh, my my image of yeah. him was more of a of a turtle, <laughs> like a turtle's back because then he had the extra hump where his brain was with like fur at the top. And then where his arms would be were where his necks came out. Right. And then kind of like mm. brachiosaurus heads is what I imagined. Yeah.
0: You know, in a lot of ways, uh, the puppeteers are very much like the Tlaxoom. Because you find at the end that he has all these extra heads lying around and extra body parts. He's kind of cloned. And so, you know, it's in, and they're like genetically engineering stuff. It's uh, another thing stolen from Frank Herbert.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting design of a character. Uh, my immediate thing after he said they're called puppeteers is I was like, why are they called puppeteers? Why, why? And it wasn't when they were, by the time they revealed it, I was so past caring anymore. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, I forgot I had that question. Yeah. Well, he answers it. Yeah. He He answers it. Mm -hmm. You
0: know, I, I liked how they're really viewed as cowards, but then you realize that the reason they put their back towards stuff is not because they're cowards. It's defensive. It's defensive. Yeah. And like that, that reveal to me was like, whoa, like I, even this time I was reading, I was like, huh, I it was kind of cool. Even, even the, the, they don't realize that. Right. Right. Like he doesn't, yeah, the puppeteers don't. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially speaker to animals. He, speaker was absolute. he detested, uh, Nessus all the way through. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that was.
0: I mean, well, there was tolerance toward the end, I think. But
2: yeah, we might as well move on to to speaker. Yeah. Then, yeah. Uh, speaker to animals. Well,
1: the tolerance, the tolerance, I think, was a matter of necessity.
2: Yes. Did we ever find out why he was called Speaker to animals?
0: That was his name at the very beginning when we meet. They they share his, Kazinti name, um, but then. The, tr- the translation of it is Speaker to Animals. Right. But we so don't... I think it's the mm-hmm. translation of his name. He is, I considered, the lower, one of the lower Kazin. Right. Yeah, so... Well.
2: But, but doesn't he say that if he's successful, he'll get a name?
0: Yes. Yeah. So this is his name, Speaker to Animals. Yeah. Kazin. He has a description,
2: but he'll get a name.
0: If he... Yeah. Wow. I love how they mm-hmm. describe him as so warlike. Yeah. But you you see by this... Like this is the race has attacked humanity seven times, right? Mm-hmm. And has lost mm-hmm. every time, thanks to the puffeteers. Um has lost every time and it's kind of bred out this extreme warlike. They're still very ferocious, but just the the, the the Uber ferocity that was in them has kind of been bred out of them.
1: Yeah, they've been they've uh had uh, reason added to them.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. So they've been domesticated at least a little bit.
2: Um, mm-hmm. I have to say, of all the characters, I felt that Speaker was the one that had the most growth in the whole story.
0: Well, oh, I would agree with that. He was the most dynamic.
2: Yeah. I mean, he went from yeah. being bloodthirsty, basically, like baseline Klingon, to, to being more wharf like
1: Okay, that's your second insult. You've just... Insulted Klingon. No. Oh, no.
2: I kept it in the you Klingon know family. It, yeah, but well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I compared them to two types of Klingon, two, two different Klingons. Uh, <laughs> but oh, boy. It, I mean, really, actually, he reminded me my, my true analogy would be Dargo from Farscape, but that was, I knew that would kind yeah. of fall flat.
0: Well, you know. So. It's been, I only watched the first season and a half of Farscape. Yeah. So, so
1: what about Tila Brown?
0: Ooh la la. <laughs> I didn't, I, I... <sighs> She doesn't appear uh, intelligent at first. Mm-hmm. And they really portray that. Um, but she, she is. And you find that she has been bred for luck. Mm-hmm. And not just her, but her entire family is genetically lucky. Right. Which is, which i have got to be honest, there was a part of this book as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is just a more intellectual Douglas Adams. Uh, because this is, you know, we, we read Hitchhiker's Guide and stuff's happening. You're like, well, this is kind of odd. And, and so this idea of breeding for luck seemed very Douglas Adams esque, but I think because of the idea of it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I felt, I felt so.
1: And, and that's one of the parts of the book that it just kind of lost me. It's like, how do you, first of all, actually, there is no such thing as luck. You make your own luck. Secondly, how do you breed for it? Where in the DNA is
0: luck? Well, maybe when you become 200 years old in the future, I'm not saying <laughs> you are like David did, but when you, like, 200 years from now, maybe humanity will have figured out a way to breed for luck. I don't know.
2: It, well, I, I think that's the characters had the same reaction as you did. Uh,
0: yeah, Luis, they do. Luis was exactly the same. You know, it, even up to the end, we're saying, "Well, is she really lucky?" Because they doubt that till the very end. Well,
2: I think. Well, I don't think Luis doesn't anymore. He, he says well, she's lucky for
0: he, herself. For herself, and even when it doesn't seem like luck is still benefiting her. Yeah, she's
2: so lucky. That she's lucky in things she doesn't even know that are good for her yet. So they
0: crash in World, which doesn't seem like luck, but it's luck for her because she meets Sir well,
2: And she gets to learn life lessons. Right. She wouldn't learn them on Earth. Right. So I did not like the character. However, that broader reveal of the luck breeding, not initially. Initially, I thought it was quite lame, but. Towards the end, when it just kept coming up and they kept hitting the wall with like and basically they're like we've it almost became an issue of like we've got to get rid of her because she's mm-hmm. so lucky for herself, she's unlucky for us, and uh that that kind of stuff interested me,
1: uh, see, I thought she was a bubblehead with flashes of brilliance,
2: Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right i actually found pila a lot more you mean prill prill sorry prill i found her a lot more intellectually entertaining
1: scott how did they pronounce uh prill's full name in the book do you Um, remember
0: yeah hario prillalar or something like that so so yeah Harillo. i think it's yeah Herillo, uh Prillalar or something like that, but they just Prill is the easiest way to pronounce it. Just remember. Yeah, your, that's your, for your, sure. But, um, um, so yeah, but what, what we talked about Prill, let's let's talk about Prill since you brought up. So this is like the only engineer that we really meet. Yeah, in a kind of a and uh, what she really is is like this. Really, for this is gonna sound crass, but she's like the the. The the ship's whore basically, for for them.
2: She's more of a Benny Gesserit.
0: Yeah, but she's there to entertain sailors between. Right, but she journeys. she
2: does explain that that means that she's also medical.
0: She's a musician. Well, a she musician. has to know. Yeah, she has to know. So, it's a, and there's a guild, mm-hmm. entire guild. Hmm.
1: So, we're talking a character similar to uh, that on Firefly.
0: Oh, yeah, Inara. Inara. So, Inara's character, probably very much closer to what what we uh, imagine uh, Prill's profession to be. Because, I mean, Inara was a conversationist. She was a diplomat. There was, I mean, she had skills beyond just the profession. And that seems to be what's Mm -hmm. going on with Mm Prill.
2: But she also has that. Enslavement uh, ability that we have from the Benny Gesserit. Yes, through dependency. Matrix, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. We did. We uh, we almost should go back to we almost should go back to Nessus and talk about the Tasp at least a little bit because if we're going to talk about Prill, I mean, it's one way that um, Nessus controls the Kazin, the speaker to animals is through this idea of this. Task, it gives people this incredible pleasure that becomes like a drug to them. And uh, he mm-hmm. uses it not only there, but also on frail one time on Louis Will, um, until he loses it when he loses his head. You know? But the task, I think, is somehow central in controlling the group. Yeah.
2: I, I liked the way uh, Louis you know describes it he's you know it happened once and even then he can still feel deep down the call his he wants more of it um right so uh, just to show how powerful it was
0: you know we talked a little bit about uh jim you were mentioning about how this has really felt like a 70s story you see The idea of drugs, both in the spice that allows them to live forever, but then also the task, you see this idea of of the drug culture maybe playing in a little bit.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. It it was interesting. I mean, it must have been horrible for her, having it at such, even at such a low dose. Right. And then to have it completely cut off. Although they stopped, they say they stopped a little before. Yeah. It was cut out, but... She had no more access to it at all. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's Prill. We have, uh, who, uh, what other ca- characters do we have?
1: Now well, the, uh, the other one was a puppeteer.
0: Oh, Chiron, the only other puppeteer they meet, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Uh, and, uh, that one seemed to, um, show while Nessus was gone, was showing the others ring world and where it was and how it worked and that was from the uh place they called rosette i think
0: yes yeah it was the uh what was the five worlds kind of flying together in formation yeah Mm -hmm. and but it's the only other uh the only other puppeteer we meet and uh
2: which they explain they go through a whole city and they don't see any more puppeteers
0: but there's a yeah there's a story behind that i'm not sure we fully get that story
2: yeah maybe in subsequent books yeah maybe yeah um I didn't re- I, he didn't really leave an impression with me, I mean, maybe I wasn't paying attention to him enough because I just thought of him as a uh plot device he he was there to give you info, and he did his job, and right. then he was gone.
1: well, and also pointing out that uh Nessus was a dishonored member of their race,
0: yeah. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. Considered insane, but- even though he did get the chance to breed. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. big for Nasus. Yeah. So, um, you know, one other character we didn't mention was uh, the guy I'm calling Sir Galliant, but the Teela Brown's lover at the end, who's from Ringworld. World. Um, that is this nice, yeah. Seeker, they call him Seeker, right? Who's trying to, who's traveling to the edge of Ring World, which is doesn't exist.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they have, um, they make note that he's super old, or than he looks, and that he, he gave one of his, like, life expectancy stretchers to, uh, Louis, uh, to use, but I don't think he talks at all, in the entire thing. I'm
0: fairly sure he no, doesn't. I know. Well, no dialogue, but he does communicate. He
2: talks to others, but there's no yeah.
0: dialogue that we hear. Yeah so yeah and uh brown is sold to him but she wants to be right
2: because she's in love with him right but and it's it's funny because uh louis is kind of he's hurt but he's not hurt by it because he understands at this point that she's dangerous and that he only fell in love with her because it was lucky for her right yeah and
1: it didn't matter to Louis anyway, because he had uh, Peril
0: right, 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 so <laughs>
1: or she had him, I don't know, it yeah. depends on your point of view, I guess
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, so we traveled to Ringworld. what are some of the uh what are the some of the places that we visit in Ringworld that are significant?
2: Well, there's of course, there's fist of the Gods, oh yeah right away they make a big deal of the fist of the gods we don't
0: know until the very end why it's so important um, mm-hmm. which is why if you the first time you're reading is great but then you see it after you read it again you're like oh yeah i know what that's about yeah that's how they get ring world <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's spoiled for me now but and it was a pretty cool device to get out too yeah
2: i thought it was pretty interesting
0: um, one yeah. plays into how the ring World was initially launched their ships just by falling off the edge of the uh, off yeah. the edge of the walls, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I thought that yeah. you know, I loved how's Moving Castle, yeah. So, which is not what it was actually called, but a reference to anime, right? You know, our castle in the sky, it's these floating houses that are kind of cool, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: I mean I, th- I found it I th- I liked the, the idea of them all falling and them seeing all these destroyed cities because of these giant things falling out of the, side, the yeah. sky. That was pretty yeah.
1: cool. Yeah. Well and yeah, there were there were a lot of different things. But you know, the uh natives just all seemed to be very hostile. Yeah. Yes. Starting out, you know, they started out friendly and then for some reason they just were no longer friendly.
0: Well, I think everywhere they, they went, they they at least initially one of the times they believe that they are ringworld engineers and are coming to help them, but discover soon that they aren't, and they have to kind of flee for their lives from that because of it. Yeah, and that might be in Namu Click Click. Yeah.
1: Well, even even the terrain itself was unfriendly. I mean, those uh, what sunflowers? Oh yeah,
0: those uh, killer sunflowers.
2: Or they mentioned. That
0: yeah, they've... I'm picturing Jim, by the way, like a, a 50s B uh, TV show, like the Attack of the Killer Sunflower, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what it is, right? It's like these sunflowers, like, <whistles> yeah. yeah, and
1: that's what it seemed like. And then it it just seemed like it was really, really uh, everything was kind of against them.
2: Very much so. Very much yeah. so. and then, But I think it's interesting at the end when they go back and point out all the luck in all of their adventures. You know, yes, this bad thing happened, well, but, you know, it could have been worse. But we didn't die. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then... I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're still here. So, um, it, I mean, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the... They made it to the shore of the ocean, which is where they found uh, Pilla. Prilla. Prilla. Prill.
1: Prill. Prill.
2: Yeah. Uh, and that was like a more advanced city, and that was interesting mm. to kind of mm-hmm. see how these people were still still primitive by Prill standards, but they were living in like they had streetlights and and stuff like that, but yet they still gave offerings to Prill so right
1: yeah right you know I wonder I wonder I'm looking at our our list here and I see uh, names for ships the long shot the lying bastard <laughs> uh, uh, improbable you know yeah when as I read this those those kind of uh, seemed like they were descriptive for some reason it was kind of a fatalist kind of thing going on.
0: Well, so, you know, this this brings it up, is this, this idea that there's a little bit of, uh I'm missing the word right now, and I should know it. uh Kierkegaard was a, um, why can't I not remember? I'm going to, existentialist. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of like, mm-hmm. they're just thrust and stuff just happens to them, and they just have to figure out how they're going to roll with it. And so this yeah. idea of it being, like this long shot, like it's a, like a gamble, right? Yeah. The, uh, the lying bastard, you know, <laughs> um, the, uh, you know. Well, the,
1: and that, uh, the lying bastard would be Nessus. I mean, yeah, describing absolutely.
0: Nessus. And the improbable, you know, is Tila Brown, right? Mm-hmm. The fact yeah. that this is an improbable thing. Um. And uh, and so I, I don't know that's cool.
2: Yeah, I I mean
0: I, I I thought it was interesting. There were some interesting devices they did create, like the, the uh, what the, the Chitang Bron that they used to kind of go through walls mm-hmm. to make them permeable. I like the the bad stuff that happened with that. How they described it. Yeah, that. like and you've seen you've seen these sorts of shows like that mm-hmm. before, uh, where mm-hmm. they go through and they get caught halfway through and it mm-hmm. kills them. But even
2: just the people that, like, it it mushed their brains. Right. Made them idiots. Right. So. Um, Transfer booths, that was a really
0: cool concept. I like that. Especially when it was turned into the citywide transfer booth. And how that made the world so that countries were, the names were no more than formalities. Every place looked the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah just hop around. Yeah, just hop around with that. Um I did like uh what did you think of the uh, whole uh I want to call it razor wire. The uh wire that was falling from the sky.
2: I found it very interesting, Jim.
1: Uh it was uh well, it's definitely what brought the um the lying bastard down <laughs> and put er- put everybody on there. Um I thought it was it was kind of ingenious the way it tied the shades over the top of the ring to have a day and a night.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And also, didn't it, didn't it also pro- provide power? Somehow um, it harnessed bo- power, and that was also delivered to Ringworld through these. Well,
2: no, the, well, the shade things beamed the power down. Right. I don't think it had to yeah.
0: do with the wires. But weren't the wires a part of the shade thing?
2: Well, yeah, the wires, the shade things were tied to each other. okay. Like a bracelet. And yeah. So they all yeah. moved at and, the same time.
1: Yeah, and they were, they were actually tied down to the, uh, the ring world, weren't they?
2: Yeah, I believe so. Oh, I don't know. So they didn't fly out.
1: Uh, I thought it was kind of convenient the way that happened to come down so they could use it to escape.
2: Oh, it's the luck thing again.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it tore, it tore up their ship. Uh, they wound up crash landing uh, virtually in the shadow of the place that they were going to escape from. Right. Uh, travel all over the place and get in all this trouble and uh, have these little adventures only to wind up back with that wire. Uh, to pull them out of the ring world
2: right I, I like the idea of it falling for days or whatever because it was so long I thought that, oh, yeah. I thought that was a cool concept of this thing just keeps falling from the sky and you can't touch it because it'll uh, uh, I also wish there would have been some more description of it dragging behind them like if when Tila finally rejoined them if she was like oh yeah you know we just had to follow the destruction of all the people's houses and,
0: and <laughs> like, I wondered and stuff.
1: Ab- I wondered about that as they were going it's like they're destroying everything behind them
2: yeah I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, you yeah. Know, talk they they weren't they weren't welcome before imagine how they're how they're gonna be received now
2: right and then of course the book just abruptly ends and it ends in a way that makes you want wonder- to not necessarily a cliffhanger, but it made it I was at the point where I was like, "Oh, like I kind of wanted just a little bit more, and I'm sure he did that so he could write the next one. It's also an okay ending right um you you don't have to read anything else, but like they they pull the ship out with the wire, and I'm like, all right, so do they get in? How do they get the wire out of the thing like how's this how's this all working out and I don't know. For as much description as we got of pulling the thing out, I just expected a little bit more,
0: and we didn't get. And that. We didn't get that. Yeah, well, I mean that's, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting too that um, when I when I think of Ring World, I had trouble with its vastness. Like this, this is a huge world, like width wise. Like it's not a tiny ring. It's a really wide ring. Yeah. Like and like what, a million miles across?
2: It's like several Earths. Yeah, it was wide. it
0: was insane. Yeah. And like they could travel for days and not get to the edge of the world. Yeah. Um, which was interesting. And I found that kind of interesting. Prill walked. Yeah. Like that that huge distance. Yeah. Yeah. Well that and they drove a bus. Yeah, that's true. They drove a bus for a little bit.
2: I, I I may have had some conceptual help from playing Halo, which. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like,
0: Halo takes the idea. So, there's a Halo. How familiar are you with the Halo franchise, Jim?
1: Um, I've read a couple of the books. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. there's uh, yeah, so I,
0: there's one called Ring World, right? And they actually like Halo Ringworld. World, and you and they are on this world that's a ring. You yeah. know, so it's an idea that's taken from Larry Niven. Yeah. Or Larry Niven, I guess, and you know, and so. Yeah, it's easy to kind of conceive it. But theirs is, I think, a bit more narrow and smaller. Yes. However, do we, ag- I'm sorry, go ahead, Jim.
1: Do we know for a fact, though, that the, that Halo is derived from Ringworld?
0: No, 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 no. Just that ring, the, the Ringworld in Halo, uh, it was the probably idea. Take, the idea for it was taken from Larry Niven. Not that Halo oh. was. Halo was not taken from that. Not that I know. Oh, okay. The case. Yeah.
2: But it's also big enough that in the game, you never get from one side to the other to the other like it's that you never can get to the edge you never get to the edges in the game but like the description of looking off and then seeing it just rise up like that when you play the game it's that that game that franchise is very space opera uh and with this kind of structure in the center of it and you get a lot of descriptions in the books and especially when you play the games to see it of what it would be like to be on something like that the cool thing about Halo is that like when you go underground, you go a little, you go a little bit, and then it turns into like the, the scientific like layers of secret, secret stuff built into the frame, which they did not do. Which this doesn't have. This doesn't have.
0: Not that we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um. But so I was expecting, I was waiting for something like that, but then
0: they kept explaining how the it was so thin. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. The uh, significance of it being called the Fist of God. <laughs> yeah, Jim, why don't you take this one?
1: Well, apparently that mountain called Fist of God that we are introduced to, right after they crash land, and then again at the end, turns out to be apparently a huge meteor strike of some kind that just hammered this mountain into Ring World and left. The top open, uh, allowing them to escape. So I imagine, when when that meteor hit, it probably felt like the fist of God.
2: They said it was like the size. It would have been the size of the moon or bigger. Yes,
0: they said that. They did do that. Um, yeah, it's huge. One of my one of my here. So here's one of my theories about that. So it's called the fist of God, and the idea that this. Meteor strike is a fairly new event that has happened and has been put there because of the luck of Teela Brown.
2: But it doesn't help her.
0: No, but they do crash near it. Yeah. And it helps the crew. Maybe. I don't know.
2: Although a lot of the luck stuff doesn't make sense until he explains it, anyway, so right.
0: maybe, maybe, man, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, it's um, not
2: beyond. I mean, they, they say they're going to go back. So, well, actually, don't they say when they leave that they'll never go back? No, he says they got to go back and get tell everyone get the get the ship, and because he said okay. they mentioned about going back, and he says we can't go back till we go home, and then we can go back. Like, yeah, I forget with the now they know how to get in and out through the mountain they can visit it as much as they want okay
0: yeah that's true that's true so um so uh i i think we've talked is there anything in particular as far as characters or devices in there that you want to talk about before we move on to points of plot i think uh, i'm good
1: yeah' I'm, I'm all right let's move on
0: all right so let's go uh, points of plot what what did you what were some of your favorite moments in this let's go with you
1: david
2: okay uh i think the the my favorite moment in the book was them uh after tila was lost and uh Lu- luis's uh Explaining her luck to them and, and just like it's blowing his mind, and he has to like stop from his mind getting blown to explain to these people who just do not get what he's saying every time he tries a different analogy, they just don't get it. And uh, I think that was one of my favorite parts of the book just like that re- reveal of how this thing that they revealed a long time ago and then threw off as not being, being a failure. Came out to be true, but so true that it wasn't good.
0: So. Very good, Jim. How about you?
1: Well, I I think my favorite part of the book uh, was <laughs> when uh, Louis left his uh, birthday party and started globe trotting.
0: <laughs> uh, yep
1: I mean. How many times have you been in a situation like that where you would like to just walk out, jump on a transporter and go to another part of the world yeah. just get away from everybody. How to do my um, record? I'm just
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I would dearly love to have a device uh, a device like that. Uh but I did have a part of the book that I think was my least favorite.
0: Oh, okay. Well, okay. Do you want to share that now?
1: yeah and that is when they are flying across the face of this thing and i i'm all the way just i keep asking where are we going with this where are we going with this and uh i don't know it that to me seemed to be a little bit a little bit drawn out
2: you mean when they're trying to get to the edge yes oh i can yeah it's very Lord of the Rings without a without a concrete goal. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, the goal was to get to the edge. I mean, that's but right. but it, through that we are discovering about Ringworld. Yeah. So again, it's one of the as I said when we started out the show that this is a story of, oh, let's go to this planet and let's figure out what's going on in this planet and let's leave. Right. I mean, this is uh, and there's and this then go ahead.
1: But we've wasted all this time following this travel. And they decide not to go to the edge.
0: Well, we didn't waste it, though, because we encounter, we learn a lot about the world that we wouldn't have known without them going on this journey. Stuff that we revisit on their journey back and, yeah. uh, and they, they, they know now to avoid because they've learned, along with Teela Brown, some things about the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a journey of them going, discovering this world, and then leaving with the knowledge of this world. I don't uh-huh. think I mean
1: I, and
2: my, my counter argument to you Jim is you, you're like they go there but then they don't even they don't finish. It's because they reached a point where they realized their goal was was uh, moot there was when they when they get Prilla or Prill, they they find out that the edge has nothing to offer them and that's not their way out because they were trying to get off and, yeah and you can't they, when they find out that they can't get off. At the edge. Well, they
1: weren't, I, but the thing is, is if they did reach the edge, I knew they weren't going to get off anyway, because they had nothing to get, to get with.
2: Well, I think the idea was to find, to the, the find something at the edge to get off, and then go back and drag the ship and push it off oh, the edge.
1: Oh, f- okay, yeah, that, that spaceport they were talking about.
0: Yeah. Okay. But we find out too that if they would've re- if they would have reached the end, um, they wouldn't have been able to get through the wall anyway. Right. Without that thing. Without the Town brush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just looking on my shelf. I knew I had a copy of Ring World on my shelf, the copy that I first read. Yeah. So I see Jim right here. Yeah.
1: Oh, there you go. So how often
0: <laughs> a day do you brag? I don't. <laughs> like I have I have Ring World. So <laughs> This is an original publication. Really, not a reprint. Whoa! So this is the. Um, it says that right, but then it says this: "There's a first, a second, third, and fourth, a fifth and sixth printing." So, <laughs> so it is not yeah. a reprint, but of the fifth reprint. <laughs> but it's it's a, it's a sixth printing of it, so it's not probably worth about a buck twenty-five, which is what the price is in the cover. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so. I guess uh, a part for me that I found humorous um, was, so there's one part they've landed and Tila and, uh, and Louie Wu are kind of going at it in the woods and uh, they're yeah. lying there and a rabbit jumps across them and the next thing you know, Speaker of goes charging over them and disappears <laughs> into the woods. And I, for some reason, I kind of laughed when I saw this because you can just imagine, it's like, you know, it's like parents and the kid barges in. It's kind of like yeah. it is, but they they explored this whole you know underlying the whole uh, book and this whole journey was there is there was a discussion of sexuality mm-hmm. you know and and what was considered taboo and and the openness of it again something that's very reflective of a seventies theme right mm-hmm. you you kind of see through it and uh, not. Not maybe as descriptive as Frank Herbert got into it sometimes, but still there. That's what surprised
2: me. I expected more. I kept, I kept thinking, "Oh, here we go. This is where he's gonna go." Go deep. Oh, that's terrible! <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Here you oh man, this is this and, is it. And
1: that's that. It would have lost me at that point.
2: Yeah.
0: It was yeah, better without. it. I'd have, it was taste. It was, I, I, it it was it, taste absolutely. done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It it is most definitely.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you get enough that you know what's happening, and you don't need. Uh, I think it's it's not the main point of the story, and it's but it is mm-hmm. a point. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So uh, any other points of plot that you really liked along the way? I mean. Nothing really
2: stands out. I had a good time for, once I got to Ringworld. Yeah. I, en- I i enjoyed reading the book from that point on. Yeah. Pretty good. Enough to recommend it to other people.
0: All right. All right. So, um,
2: themes. Yeah. Do you want to take some themes here? Okay. So, what kind of themes did you guys see with humanity and its complac- complacency? I found that the humanity it showed that a lot of times in the in these situations it would paint humanity in a really bad color and that they got every basically they get everything they wanted and then they just become horrible horrible users but in this in this world humanity wasn't horrible users they were just
0: very content almost bored people I would I would kind of agree with that. But at the same time, I don't feel like we've gotten enough of humanity. Like our view of humanity, we get through Louis Wu, Mm -hmm. really. And maybe Teela Brown a little bit. And we get their perspectives on it. And we find out a little bit about the world's breeding program to control the population, Uh uh, which I think talking about another theme, this idea of how do you control expanding population? And you did get that. That, there was kind of that little side thing as far as telling, like, we're talking about future society, but we really don't get, like, the inner workings. Like, I'm thinking, like, where's the U.S., go- where, where's the government in this whole journey, right? right? Because you know if we had this chance to get this drive for humanity, the government would be all over it.
2: And I mean, I guess you're supposed to assume there's something there. They do talk about the ministry of child control. Right. Population control. Whatever. I don't know.
0: Jim, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, life on Earth, it, it, it just seemed too easy. Um, there didn't seem to be a struggle. There didn't seem to be anything to work for. I mean, we've got a guy that's lived 200 years, and he's been here, he's been there. Um, and going to Ringworld would be probably something that, you know he wants to get away and he wants to go out and explore but it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of other people that that are lining up to do this or that are able as a matter of fact because Nessus was going around recruiting people um, and you know he recruited these specific people to do this for specific reasons so
2: I think some of it has to do with uh, and they talk about how even though we've surpassed faster-than-light travel, it's not fast enough for people. Like they've explored everything within reach, and from this point yeah. on, everything else is, you know, hundreds of years away. Type of like to go to explore yeah. something, it's going to take a hundred years to get there. Type of
1: scenario. Yeah. So maybe the and then, of, uh, course with,
2: will up. Well, of course, with long shot, wake come up. Of course,
1: with. Of course, with this uh, wave coming to destroy everybody, you think maybe it could be also that it's, oh, oh well, let's have fun while we can. In 20 million years, we're going to die anyway. Yeah.
2: Well, they don't know that yet. <laughs> they don't know about ah. it yet. So that's, I mean, that's the whole point of, like, why they want the ship so much is because both uh, Louis and Tila are like, well, once, what's going to, I think they have a discussion at one point. They're like, well, what, what is going to happen if humanity finds out about this the closest thing the closest thing oh. for us to go to that's not far enough away is 88 years just to get there right and nobody's going to want to take that trip when everything when this disaster seems so far away so they're going to wait to the last minute and then there's not going to be any time for humanity to escape because it's going to take too long and okay. and if we get the ship and bring it back they're still going to wait till the last minute, but the last minute won't be as detrimental because we'll be able to move everybody in enough time. And even, and the funny thing is, even with that procrastination of humanity, we'll still get to this safe haven, establish ourselves, build a new society before the, the puppeteers get there.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Any other themes? Well, you know, I think the other theme is we we need genetic engineering, obviously a part of that, through the puppeteers, and both from the Kazinti and and, uh, through uh, the humans, how they're breeding humans. What's interesting about this, there's a part, and I don't have the quote here, um, but how there's a part that Louis Wu says, we've all played gods at one point. Right. The, the puppeteers, Nessus. Oh, he was a puppeteer. Tila Brown, uh, the Kazin, even Louis Wu. They've have all played gods at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the genetic, the genetic engineering, I think, was a uh,
2: right. And I think it's interesting that they also explore the fact that, like, well, what can we do about it now? Like, it's done. Yeah. Like we can be angry about it, but it doesn't fix anything. And even if we were rightfully angry about it and we went back and we told everyone and everyone else got
0: angry about it yeah. what would it do to us but destroy us yeah well you know I, I look at I, I'm not saying just hear me out as far as connections to this in, our, in, in real life I think that sometimes when you go back to societies that have been oppressed or taken advantage of when governments go back to pay restitution to that that, that is a good thing but the other side of it is how far do you go back for that sort of thing? Right. You know, there's always a limit somewhere and, and this seems to be well, do you get mad at the puppeteers for doing this for something that happened two, three hundred years ago? But then you have
2: people like Tila who are actively a result And are caught up uh, in it. Of it. Yeah.
0: And she doesn't have free will because of it. She not that she
2: knows that, right. And yeah. she can't and they explore the idea that she can't even get angry at it because she doesn't know how to be angry. Right. So interesting. Huh.
0: Well let's
2: move move to closing thoughts, I guess. I have quotes.
0: Oh you've got quotes. I got some quotes here that I want to share. Do you want to hear my quotes, Jim? Let's hear it. All right. That was a no. That was yeah. Shut shut up, Jim. (laughs) Um, The gods do not protect fools. Fools are protected by more capable fools. (laughs) Yeah. This one I like. Exercise. This is by Louis Wu. Exercise is wonderful, said Louis. I could sit and watch it all day. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've read that on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, he, either that or from Douglas Adams. That's yeah. But uh, what other ones here that I have?
2: Um, it's like when they when they were at the the pool. He just says that Tila and uh, Louis had. Uh, got some exercise before returning, and then they did push-ups and sit-ups. To get... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: the quote about them where they said they when they when they're naming the ship, Louis suggested the ship be called the lying bastard for their own reasons. Tila and Speaker agreed for his own reason. Nessus did not object. Huh. I thought <laughs> it was an interesting way of putting that. So those are the quotes that I have. I, there's, there's there's probably others here. Yeah. Fear is the brother of hate.
2: You so well, no. just started. You would have just broken out in the litany there, Jim. I don't know, I know what I would have done. Something like that. Snap him out of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, That's it. Okay.
2: Let's let's move on to closing thoughts uh, and ratings. What are your final thoughts on the book, Jim? Would you recommend it, and if so, what would your rating be?
1: Okay, uh, would I recommend it? I, I might recommend it um, to someone who would really appreciate classic science fiction. Um, but I, I wouldn't rate. I, I don't think I would recommend it to someone that would be very young, because I don't think I don't think they would have the attention span to get through it. Um, I'm, go- I'm going to give it, uh, three and a half stars.
2: Okay. Okay. That's higher than I expected. Yeah,
1: yeah, high. I, uh, I, I, uh, keep in mind, I liked the book. I just, um, I think I was expecting more than what I got.
0: Well, you know, it's almost one of these books that if you're going to call yourself, uh, someone that has read, like what you would consider quintessential science fiction. Uh-huh. Ringworld somehow makes it onto this list. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and so uh but I agree it it's someone that's passionate about science fiction. This is the person that really should read it. But if you're just a casual reader, this may not be the book that I would send someone you know, I'd send it to the Martian before I would send them to something like this. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: So So what rating would you give it? This one? Yeah. Oh I loved it. It was at least a 4.5. Okay. Not perfect. Again, I think for some of the th- same reasons that you said, that the times it does feel a bit slow. If you're looking for a story with plot, heck with plot in this one. But this is not, the, the, it's really a meant, let's go explore this world and explore the society. And let me paint how the society functions through the logic of humanity. And then let's leave. Hmm. You know? But it's kind of like rendezvous with drama for me. Which is a book maybe we should read sometime. But you go to Rama, you explore it and then leave. I mean, it's kind of the same sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. So, have you read any of you read Rendezvous with Rama? Did you read Rendezvous with Rama?
1: I I did. Uh, I listened to the audio book about five years ago. Yeah. Um, I I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, but it's the same kind of concept, you know. You go and leave, you know. It's not. Yeah.
2: Okay, well, my I mean, first off, I'm going to give it a 3.5. And the reason is, I would give it a 4, except for I don't like his descriptions enough to knock it down. Because the book reached a point for me where it just became fun. Not exciting, but fun. It was like watching an Indiana Jones movie, where... There's no, never felt like there was any real threat. So maybe Crystal Skull, never felt like there was any real threat. <laughs> uh, but there's an adventure going on, and they're like bad things happen, and you know they're gonna get out of it. But you watch it to see how they're gonna get out of it, you know. Or it could have been a MacGyver, you know, like an episode episode of MacGyver or something. And it's like you know that they're gonna be all right, but you're just kind of like this is kind of fun to see them solve the problem, and and I. Liked that, and in, yeah, I agree. And because of that, it made it very light to me. So, opposite of both of what you said, I actually, in my mind, before like seconds before we started talking, I thought if I had to choose someone to recommend this book to, I probably would recommend it to a younger reader, just because of sci-fi. Except for in the beginning, those really horrible, horrible descriptions that I think you need a doctorate to like a wordsmith yourself through. Uh, yeah. <laughs> other than those parts, like it's very, very light. It's very like, I don't want to say entry level, but it's, well,
0: you know. My, my only problem with that, David, is that we as a society and kids especially I'm looking at it, or young younger people are driven by plot. Yeah, You need to have a good plot. Mm-hmm. This story does not have that. So while it's light and I agree that it's kind of well, let's see what happens next, type of thing. That is also its damnation when you look at a younger reader, because I think most people are so. Let's do Percy Jackson and Mount Olympus, yeah, you know, and true. Harry Potter. But there's a there's a very distinct plot in in, in a lot of the pipe or the Warriors series or some of the other things that kids are reading. It's not so much. If anything, this is closer to slice of life anime. If I knew a thirteen
2: to seventeen year old person and they were someone who read who i knew read regularly this would be a book that i would recommend oh maybe if it was like younger than that and definitely not and if probably not if they were older but if and, and if they weren't someone who i knew read books i wouldn't just be like oh hey I uh, you know you like uh x-men you should read this book called ring world that's right <laughs> it's got it's got space in it
1: you yeah. know, like, yeah.
0: <laughs> and rockets rockets <laughs> rockets rockets and floating
1: we'll castles. see and, and in defense of of what Scott says, yeah, there's a beginning to the book, and then there's a middle, and there's sort an of an end. End. there is an I end you well, we 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 landed on the world, we traveled over here, we came back here, and then we left, yeah, yeah, and some kids. Don't don't respond well to that. They some they there has to be something at stake for them. I you mean, guys, a la Hunger Games, a la Twilight.
2: Yes, yes. You guys would you're you guys have the pulse on the kids more than I do. No.
1: <laughs> Sometimes no, I,
2: so you guys are hip to the street lingo and I am not. We
1: Jim I, and I
0: are so lit, it's incredible. Oh. On, you guys are. On I speak. see what they're
1: reading, I see what they bring to my classroom. What they're reading for right. their accelerated reader points. Yes. Yeah.
0: And it's not shades of gray, thankfully. Right. <laughs> we, it's funny, but we have we have. It was amazing. When the first book came out for that. Kids were requesting it in the library. Oh boy. And our yeah. librarian said, "Hell no."
2: <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Okay.
0: Well. So yeah, that's that, a rating.
2: All right. That wraps it up then. Do we know what book we're reading next? I believe it's my turn, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, sure, it's your turn. Well, you did you that? Wait. No, here's, no. Here's the it, thing. Did you pick? Did you pick Hitchhiker's Guide or was it? Sure. That you I you I picked it. Okay. All right. So then and then Jim went and now it's my turn. Yes. It's fine. Okay. I'm just harassing you. Okay. Don't make me cry again. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my choice is Aragon.
0: Aragon. Yeah. Oh, good. We're getting into some juvenile fiction. A little bit. Yeah.
2: One fantasy and poorly written. And I want to read
0: it again. Okay. And I have... and so you're going to make Jim. Did you ever read Aragon? Nope. He's already checked out.
1: Yeah, He's like, he's like
0: oh, I'm sorry. Well, just... So when are we doing I'm the next podcast? Down. Uh, What's that? I He's like... I, he's, he's I, like
1: I what? I said I take it now. This is a fantasy book.
0: It yeah.
2: is. It is. It is. Okay. And who the wrote guy, it? The, what was his name? Aragon. What is the name of the guy who wrote it? I I'll I'll will warn you, Jim. This got published when he was sixteen, the first book. So, oh. some of the writing reflects not only a first book adventure, but also. A young person writing the book however I found the story quite compelling and uh if we ever read the others uh I really enjoyed the rest it, of the series okay. is, it, is, it enterta-
1: is it entertaining
2: yeah Christy would like it does it that, does that have a plot it has a beginning a middle and an end and a to be continued stamped on the back Very have you good. read
1: it uh Chris uh Christopher Paulini. that's it
0: I knew it. The name was on the tip of my tip tongue. Of, tip of your tongue. Tip uh, of my tongue. Have you read it? No. Okay. I watched the movie though. No, no. Look, no Jeremy no, Irons. No. Jeremy Irons is in it. <laughs> Whatever oh, you Jeremy do. I, hey, Jeremy Irons.
2: Don't watch the movie.
0: Jeremy Irons. He plays the bad guy, right? Jeremy Irons. Still. Jeremy. Did you enjoy the movie, Jim? I like Jeremy Irons. I called you <laughs> Jeremy Irons. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. alright so that's uh Aragon we're reading for the next time yeah alright we'll be mm. back into sci-fi the next yeah. time yeah probably <laughs> Dragon Rhyme right. no I'm just kidding <laughs> alright
2: well uh, we'd love to hear what you think of Ringworld what you think of Aragon what you think of Jim's loot playing abilities dude yeah. I thought you we were going to escape without it no way no way <laughs> Ding-a- what do you think of Scott's Star Wars pajama pants?
0: They can't see them. But,
2: <laughs> but they know. Uh, now, thanks to you. Yeah. Send us, uh, shoot us an email at uh, theorbitalsword at gmail.com. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, check out the website. We uh, have a
0: Facebook page that we haven't done much with, but yeah, it's there.
2: It's there. And yeah. our
0: website is, hey, how are you doing?
2: Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, check out our website, uh, theorbitalsword.com. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And uh, you can find lots of information there and all sorts of things. We'd love to hear from you. That's uh, super important to us. Uh, And eventually we'll have you voting on our next books and definitely throw ideas our way because we'd love to hear what you have to say. Definitely. So, for the Orbital Sword, I am David
0: Moulton. And I am Scott Herzog.
1: And I am Jim Arrowwood. And we still don't have a catchphrase.
0: (laughs) That is our catchphrase.
2: (laughs) We <laughs> still don't have a castle. Uh, we need it working.